0: Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to read from the Bible now. Uh, we're reading from Matthew chapter 6, it's going to be up on the screen behind me, chapter, uh, chapter 6 verses 19 to 24. Uh, it's also, if you've got one of the church Bibles, with the blue cover, it's on page 787. And it says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money.
1: Thanks Dave. Dave mentioned uh, with sadness and joy that Kathleen Lovett passed away this week. Kathleen was 91 as part of our congregation for about five years. She was a joy to have here. I say sadness because we miss her and Wendy and the family but also joy to know she did finish her race well. But I do feel like, before I even start my message, I do want to share a story that was a great encouragement to me about her. And that is the moment when um, we'd moved into this auditorium, and it was a little bit of a shock, I think, for us to be in such a big space. We weren't that big. So we're kind of trying to push people up the front, and to engage some bit of um, interaction. So I thought, I'm going to have a bit of a a discussion. I want people to talk back to me with some answers. I had a basic question, and I had those, chocolate favourites, the lollies that are in wrappers, and I would throw out the little lolly, and if you, got, if you were to get one, uh, you could have a go at answering the questions. It's meant to be fun, meant to be harmless, but I realised you can't throw them very far from up here. They only go the first few rows. So I'm thinking, oh, I need to try to get some people up the back. So I grabbed one of the chocolate bars, threw it as hard as I could, as high as I could, as far back as I could, and Kathleen Lovett, in her late 80s at that time, cracked her fair in the forehead, <laughs> She woke up, she jumped up with a fright, and everybody's going, Ross, what did you do? And I'm thinking, what have I done? And she'd also nodded off at that point. So it actually startled her and woke up. I apologized to her, deeply apologized to her after the service. And she thought it was hilarious. She thought it was funny. And uh, this was her church as a intro 90s. This was her church, and that was a great encouragement to me. Uh, how about I pray? And then we're going to look at this passage. Dear Father God, just thank you again that we can do life together as a church. Thank you that we can have a laugh, we can rejoice uh, with with the great testimony of somebody like Kathleen. Uh, We also, yeah, are here to meet with you, to hear the hard stuff too. So Lord, as we talk about, um, yeah, some things that challenge our heart, we do pray that you'd certainly uh, soften our hearts, give us open ears and to listen to you intently. Amen. It was a few years ago when Uh, somebody from this congregation came to me and said, I'm deeply distressed, I need to talk to you about something. And this was a worry when some of our people say that. They came and they said, look, I'm I'm just anxious about this, I'm upset about this, it's not good, it's showing that our church has got maybe different priorities to what I thought they did. And we're like, what what is the problem? He says, it's to do with money. He says, how we're spending our money, how we're spending it wisely or not wisely. And if we're not spending it wisely, uh, he would actually leave the church. What? Tell me more. What can you see that I'm not seeing? Is there a blind spot for me? And he says, look, if we can save just any bit of money and use it better, use it to missions, use it to reaching people for God, that's what we should be doing. I'm like, yeah, amen. What is it that is upsetting you? He said... I don't like it that we've gone from Blend 43 to Makona and how much that is costing us as a church where we used to have instant coffee. That extra money we could be sending it away. I said, oh, I'm sure missionaries are even drinking Macona. it's, it's <laughs> Is it that bad? And we had to talk it through and it was deeply distressing to him. And you kind of understand that because when it comes to money and churches, people have a lot of scepticism, they have a lot of thoughts and opinions and it is a bit of a raw spot. If you're here last week, Ben showed us some McCrindle research about how the church is perceived by outsiders. And there's one bit of the survey that jumped out to me last week. And that was if somebody is open to Christianity, open to investigating what is this about? What are some of the blockers that stop them from investigating Christianity? Here's the top five list. But number five is that, says that 40% of people are open to exploring Christianity are put off by issues around money. And I think even if we're a part of the church or not a part of the church, whether you're visiting today or from somewhere else, I think we've all got a story to tell how churches have mishandled talking about money. And it makes us awkward and uncomfortable, even sceptical and cynical. I get it. And I've been one of those people. But what I've found out is as the Bible talks about money, it's never just about money. Money's the secondary issue. There's always something bigger going on, something bigger that needs to be addressed, and then the money's sort of tacked on to the side. It's never just as simple as we like to put it. Uh, We've been uh, starting a short series through Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount, and Jesus is talking to his disciples, people who follow him, not just the 12 disciples, but lots of people have gathered to listen to Jesus. They've come there to trust in Jesus, to be a part of the family of God, and they want to hear what Jesus has to say. But Jesus says, there's something so important that you need to know. There's something so important that you need to know that will impact how you use your money. You think, What is so important? That's going to change my life, to even change the way I view my money and use my money. What is this thing? This is what we're going to dig into. Jesus first gives them a bit of a reality check. A reality check where he tells this little story, you might be familiar with it, where he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's interesting that we have, we often view treasure, our treasures are the sparkly, shiny things that get our attention, we want, we desire, we work towards, we gain. They're the good things in life, things that make us feel complete or safe and secure. But Jesus is saying there's another way you can have treasures that is much more significant, more significant than the shiny glittery things in our life. I think well, there's lots to learn about the game of Monopoly, but there's one big game of Monopoly, uh, one big lesson I always learn, is when you're winning, it's great, when you're losing, it's terrible. It's like a slow death. Sometimes it can take hours, you know you're on that slide. But when you're winning, there's something good about it, not just that you're beating other people, there's, it, it feeds the endorphins in your brain, just to go, look at all my property, They've got them laid out, look at all my houses, look at all my hotels, I'm feeling, and look at all my cash, You know, you are not just got $1, $2, things like that. You've got $500 notes. So it's like, I am really... So if you're winning, it actually makes you feel good. Because I'm safe and secure. I've got everything I want. This is awesome. But after winning a game of Monopoly, feeling so great, if you go down to the coffee shop to grab a coffee and a muffin, and you start waving around one of those $500 notes, you kind of, you know... You know who I am, right? You know, look at me, I'm cashed up, I'm ready to spend. And they're looking at you, you're nuts. Like, you're crazy. That's like, what do you think you're doing? But you're feeling good. It's, it's nothing to them. It's the wrong currency, isn't it? It's not going to buy anything. In fact, it's only just a bit of coloured, bit of paper, really, uh, in the other world. It's a different currency. It doesn't work it doesn't fit and this kind of the image we have of Jesus uh, Jesus saying this is what heaven is like heaven uses a different currency it's not the sparkly shiny things that we like and we gather around us and like to enjoy it's going to mean nothing there so it says instead of investing in things that are here why don't you store yourself treasures in heaven now if you're one of these people on the mountain listening to Jesus hearing lots of people like today talk about money that you've been a bit sceptical, and rightly so, you would be going, well, Jesus just wants more out of me, right? He's just saying, here's the bank of heaven, give him all my money. Is that what he's saying? Is that what he wants me to do? But actually, when we look at the bigger picture of what Jesus is saying on the Sermon of the Mount, there's a constant message throughout it all, and that is that God, God the Father wants the best for you. He wants you to enjoy the best life as he set out. So, there's a whole lot of things that sound like rules. Just before this, in the chapter before, uh, Jesus goes through a bunch of things um, like do not steal, do not murder, do not hate, not only do not murder, but don't even hate, do not commit adultery, but don't even look lustfully, do not cheat, but actually be honest love others in fact love your enemies he's saying all these things that sound like okay rule number one rule number two rule number three. he's just adding another rule okay i've got to give my give my money and my stuff to to uh, heavenly things eternal things it's just another rule but actually what he's saying is actually this is what the father desires for you he talks about the father loving you as children of god And if it's a father who wants the best for you they're no longer rules can you imagine living in a world where people not only are not murdering each other but not even hating each other they're not committing adultery but not even looking lustfully on one another a world where there's no cheating but everybody's honest that people are loving each other loving even their enemies how good is a world like that all of a sudden it's not a bunch of rules It's actually, this is God, our Father God, saying this is the best way to live. This is also the best way to live, that if you live for eternal things, not things in the here and now. Things in the here and now are a short-term investment. You know, we know that. We don't have to be rocket scientists, you you know. A house is a safe investment. but It gets old, it needs updating, it leaks, it can burn down. Our savings don't keep up with interest rates, so it disappears. Our investments are up and down depending on the share market. You know, the stuff in this world, the bright shiny things can come and go very quickly, very easily, but eternal things last forever. So have you got? Are you focused on eternal things? Are you investing in eternal things, not just stuff that's going to please us for the here and now? Um, I have an interest in... Camping, I don't often get the chance to go camping but I have an interest and I'll often go on um, like sales sites to see if I can upgrade my camping gear and I'll come across ads that have pictures like this. It's a camper um, that's decked out, pretty homemade but it's cheap and the person says hey it's not only the van you can buy, it's the plates, it's the bed, it's the sheets even if you want, um, it's the cutlery, it's the water jugs, everything's going, it's the seats, it's all going. And the story goes on going, hey British backpackers, we've just come in, we've got this to travel Australia for six months, uh, but we just need to get rid of it and go home. And when you look at the stuff, you go, oh they're getting rid of it cheap, so yeah, I'm in, I'll have a look. But then you just realise it's just cheap stuff. And you go down and buy that anywhere for cheaply, it's not great stuff. But you realize their priorities. Somebody comes to Australia, they want to travel Australia for six months, they don't want to spend a million bucks, and uh, some backpackers that we've met in the past, it's not that they haven't got the money, but they're here for six months. So they're going to buy a van, buy cheap stuff, just to, just to have a cheap holiday for six months, and go home, back home, where they're going to start a family, they're going to buy a house, they're going to get a, a, I was going to say proper job, but maybe they had a proper job before they went backpacking, but they're going to set themselves up for the future because that's their home. Australia was never their home. So what's their priorities? I'm just going to get by. I'll buy cheap stuff, I'll just do my stuff for my six months, just enough to get by because this is not my home. I'm going to flip it, get what I can and go for eternity, uh, go for for their home for a long time. But that's how we should view eternity. We're here for not that long. Eternity is for a long, long time. Are we viewing our time here as gather as much stuff as I can, the bright shiny things, because our heart is desiring that or our heart set on heaven, eternal things going, hey, actually that's what I'm aiming for, that's what I'm living for. How can I use my money and my stuff, my heart, my desires to pursue things that are going to last eternity? What can I do? I think we actually have a, a lot to learn from that because it's easy for us to forget that we're here for a short time. We're there for a long time. And we gather our stuff here. Our hearts pursue money, pursue wealth, pursue stuff, rather than looking at eternal things. That's the reality check Jesus is saying. That's what's going on for the life of a believer. You've got better things coming. So why not pursue those better things? He also says we have a choice to make. And he goes on to tell this little story that... It's one of his shorter stories, but it's one of the most complicated. There's actually three parts to this uh, I'll cover really quickly. He um, talks about uh, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? There's a few things to understanding this, this tricky little proverb you might say um that the lamp you yeah, don't need to understand how lamps work if you're in a dark room like our body is like a room if you're in a dark room you need a good lamp because if you're going to a room and you're not familiar with it you can trip over stuff you're coming into this auditorium when everything's turned off and the doors are shut you just trip out so dark so you need a good light to see what everything is but even with a dull light you can see some things but it's like a, a candle that's flickering you know, you can see the outline of stuff, but lots of stuff are in shadows. And often when the light's that bad, you, you lose colour. Everything's sort of black and white and shaded and it's not seeing things very clearly with a dull light. But you know, with a good light, you see everything. Now this light is our how we view the world. We haven't got rooms inside of us, but how we view the world. We need a good light to view the world clearly. We don't want to just see shades of grey and shadows flickering around we actually want to understand the world as clearly as we can so this is why the light is important but then he goes on the second part of this your eye is this light the lamp Uh, because it's the eye is what you look at and what you focus on and what you focus on gives you information what you focus on helps make you make good judgments and make wisdom calls because whatever you're focusing on is like that. And I think we all know this, whatever you're focused on, your whole life and your whole body will be driven towards it. Whatever you're really nailing down, I had this very clear lesson uh, a number of years ago. I was into mountain biking. And if you've been mountain biking, this is a very good lesson to learn. If you haven't been mountain biking, here's a good lesson for you now. Uh, well, riding on a track was not a fast track, it was a slow track, winding, zigzagging down a hill. Uh, and the thing gets intimidating. Even though you're going just a bit over walking pace, you've got to turn sharp corners. And if you go, if you miss the corner, you can fall down the hill. But there's also trees around you, it's in Daisy Hill, forest. So I'm riding along this path, not going too fast, going here's a corner, I need to take the corner, there's danger, there's this tree. It's not a big tree, right in front. So if I miss the corner, I hit the tree. The tree's only about the size of your wrist, in thickness. So it's not a big tree. And I'm thinking, if I hit the tree, I'm not going to be hurt too bad, because it's not a massive tree. But if I hit the tree and fall, that's a bad thing. I don't want to hit the tree. And you know, I'm so much thinking about the tree. What did I do? I hit the tree. So much so I hit this again, it's not that big. It's about that big in thickness. I'm on my mountain bike. I hit this tree and not just bang roll over to the side. I hit it square on with my wheel that actually, yeah, if you hit something square on your wheel, your whole bike lifts up. The back of the back of the bike lifted up. And I cracked my head fair on I had a helmet on, fair on the middle of the tree. I hit this tree so square on that my bike fell backwards on its wheels. I didn't even hit the side and slip over. I hit it. If you asked me to do that again, I could never do it. But I realised, how did that, why didn't I just follow it? Oh, it's because I was looking at the tree. I wasn't looking at the path. And I think we all do that in life. We get obsessed by something. It takes our focus. We stare at it whether it's a new thing or upgrading thing or even it's relationships, I want a partner, I'm so obsessed with that, I want kids, I'm so obsessed with that, I want a car. You know when you're so obsessed with something, you look, all of us, before you didn't see many of them, but when you're focusing on them, you see them everywhere. All of a sudden, everybody's got partners, everybody's got kids, everybody's got this kind of car or this kind of house. That's kind of what happens when we obsess or when we focus our eyes on something. Because setting light, setting information, that's the light into our room, gives us information. And that's, is that a good light or a shade of grey, a bad light? There's a third part to this, because it doesn't sound much to do with money at this point. It's just, what are you focused on? But actually, Jesus uses a particular phrase here that is a little bit lost in our English, uh, because uh, in this time, this was first century Roman Empire, they spoke Greek. So this was written in Greek. Uh, And Jesus used a phrase that the Jewish rabbis used to use quite a lot. Uh, When he says, your eyes are unhealthy, the closest translation we might use is that you've got an evil eye. And when the Jewish rabbis used to use this phrase, that you've got an evil eye, it was often referring to your heart being in the wrong place, that you're a selfish, self-centered person. It's all about you. It's all about your stuff. It's all about your pleasures. But a healthy eye is the opposite. It's actually all about other people. You start caring about others. You have a looser grip on your stuff. You're happy to be generous and give your stuff away. So there's, an, there's a bit of a play on words here, is using the eye as what are you focused on, but actually the eye actually dictates on, have you got an evil eye or a, or a healthy eye? Which, what are you letting into your room? What information are you giving it? What are you setting your heart on? This is where you have a choice. We all have a choice here what are we fixing our eyes on in life what are we pursuing are we pursuing the heavenly things the eternal things things that will uh, impact others in a positive way because the only things we're bringing to heaven uh, are those around us uh, saving up for ourselves just ways that we can um yeah take the good things from here up there which is not our stuff it's the people Are we using our stuff, are we focusing on that kind of life that's generous and hospitable and and compassionate that they might come with us on that journey to eternity? Or have we got unhealthy eyes that are just all about me and my stuff in the here and now? Because Jesus says if you've got that sort of eye, that he's keeping yourself in darkness, he says, and you can kind of hear the compassion in his voice, he says, how great is that darkness? You can't see. But you're choosing to focus on the wrong things, not eternal things, but the things in this world. So we have a reality check, we have a choice. But he also says actions matter. And you've got to notice that also, he's not just talking to rich people, to poor people, to young or old, people who've got lots of stuff or not much stuff. He's actually talking to everybody. We you haven't talked about money much at all, the actual amounts. But he goes on to say... What you do with your money actually shows something about you. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. So what Jesus is not saying is we should all live in poverty, give all our money away and don't touch it, it's evil. He's not saying money itself is evil. In fact, um, yeah, we're given responsibility of money. We live in a world of money. That's the challenge for us, isn't it? We handle money every day, but we've got to know how to use it. But what he is saying is if somebody looked at you and how you're spending your money, looked at your bank statements, looked at your credit card statements, your receipts, what would they learn about you? A few years ago, Uh, We went through a process of refinancing our house and you go to the bank and you go, okay, this is the amount we need to borrow and this is a way we can repay it. You have to do a budget for them. You have to say, this is what I want to spend my money on, but it's based on intentions, what I intend to spend my money on. So then the bank very cleverly says, okay, well, show show us your last credit card statement and your bank statements. They want to actually see how you're spending your money. Now, at that time, I remember sitting in the office with the bank manager and she looks at me and says, you like Bunnings, don't you? (laughs) And I sort of, yeah, bit. She says, no, you like Bunnings a lot. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she goes, most of these things are for bunnings and as it worked out i was currently on long service leave and i was doing lots of jobs at the house and you know when you get bits for your house it's never the right bit you've got to go back again and get another bit so i was going to bunnings four or five times a day how does that look on your bank statement it doesn't look good so i had to explain myself and justify where my money was going and why But I thought it was very clever. She says, I don't want to know about your good intentions on paying us back your loan. I want to know where your money's going now. Are you, you know, pulling the wool over our eyes or are you actually pulling the wool over your own eyes? Actually want to see. And I think this is what Jesus is saying here. How are you using your money? What could people learn from where they saw how you spent your money? What can they learn about you? So I think our first reaction is to say, well of course money is not my master i've never heard somebody come up and go yes uh, when jesus says you can't serve both god and i'm a servant of money i've heard nobody ever ever say that but actually when you look at how we use our money where we're spending it it actually shows something about us doesn't it somebody explained it to me which i thought was uh, clever and challenging the way I was confronted about how I use my money, uh, particularly in the way, are, are we investing in eternal things, heavenly things or things in this earth? He says, are you a tipper? A, uh, sorry, a talker, a tipper or a tither? Because talkers were the problem in Jesus' day. The Pharisees were the people. They were the religious people of all people. And when they gave large amounts, they liked everybody to see. Cause everybody went, wow, the Pharisees, they're awesome. But then you had the... Other talkers that go, yeah, yeah, I'm in, I'm one of you guys, I'm a good Jew, I go to the temple, I do all this stuff, but they don't actually give much at all. It was the poor widows that were actually giving more than them. And it's confronting because you go, well, are we just a talker? That we talk the talk but not actually show it. So I think, and I... At some point, I want to say, if you're visiting us here, and if you're, hey, I'm just visiting, and I've come on a day talking about money, I feel really comfortable, I should have expected it, being cynical, I get it. And I don't want to put this word to you to go, hey, we want your money. Actually, I would encourage you, don't give at all. If you're visiting, if you're not following Jesus, don't give. You heard it from me, don't give. But I think even you can see how hypocritical it is if somebody is saying yeah I follow Jesus I live for eternity but I'm going to spend all my money on me and my stuff now and not invested in eternity I think even you can see that's hypocritical it challenges us it challenges us are we just talkers or do we actually believe it Uh, is your talk as a disciple of Jesus matched by your actions or are you a tipper because it's easy also to get into the habit of uh, being desperate in life. There's some sort of crisis or tragedy. And you pray to God, even if you're not a praying person. You yeah, know, God, uh, this is confronting me. I don't see a way out. Can you please help me? And if the matter gets cleared up, yeah, well, God has answered my prayer. God, I need to acknowledge that to God. Uh, God has saved me a lot of money or he's saved my health. I'll put a bit extra in. I'll put a bit in uh, to recognise that, uh, that God's helped me. That you're functioning not like out of generosity but just as a tip, thanks God. Or if the church, uh, hey, they do a good job looking after my kids, I might just encourage them by giving them a tip, you know, just throwing them in a little bit extra, uh, a little bit just to encourage the church because they're helping me personally. See, we can act like we're not generous but we're just tipping God or tipping the church and you know, all money's appreciated, but it's not exactly storing up treasures in heaven, is it? It's not doing that. There's tithers, and now tithing is an Old Testament thing where Old Testament Jews uh, were told, hey, all money's from God, so to give 10%, tithe is another way of saying 10, 10% of your income to the temple, to the life of the church. Uh, well, they didn't have church that time, but the life of their, their community. And the reason they did that was because they understood God is the provider of all things. So 100% of my income comes because of God's goodness. Now, if God says, hey, uh, I want you to be generous like I've been generous to you. I want to encourage you to give 10% back to the, to the work of the gospel. That's said, Okay, I'll give 10%. That's what I'm going to give. But then there's this other 90% that they had to be wise with. To be generous, it's not just their money to do what they want, they still had to be wise. So they could be generous in helping other people and other things. Uh, Because it's all God's money, it's not their money. And it's its way of trusting God. It's interesting though, when we get into the New Testament, we go, actually Jesus never commands a 10% tithe. We kind of go, thank you Jesus, this is good news. 10% is a lot of money. But he says things like this, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Not here on earth actually I don't want I'm not just talking about your 10% I'm talking about all your income how are you using all the stuff you've got for eternal things it's actually a way bigger calling it's a way bigger uh, way of looking at the world of looking at your life God gives me everything and it's not that I give everything away but I've got to be wise in how generous I am how I use my money to invest in eternal things things that will last forever it's a big big challenge but what jesus is saying there's nothing better that you, than, there's nothing better that you can do with your money than to invest in heavenly things you can look at all the other investments but to invest in heavenly things that's what what matters now this is hard this is hard and i know i've been in very uncomfortable situations uh, thinking about this talking about this managing my own budgets and money To set your heart on heaven, heavenly things, to fix our eyes on heaven, not be distracted by the glittery, shiny things of this world, is important. But it also, we live in a world of money, so we have this extra stress. How are we going to deal with that? It's no coincidence that Jesus goes on in the next passage, if we had much more time, we'd go into it, but he says things like this, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store in barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? God cares about your situation. God cares about your position. He cares about your heart. We can take our financial situation to him. We can plead, God, I want to be more generous, but but give me the ability to be more generous. God, I'm stressing about this stuff. How do I look to you to, to take away this stress? because we are more valuable than the birds we are precious to him so we have this heavenly father that wants us to look to him look to heaven and to be focused on that in uh, old testament book amos god says test me in this you know stretch yourself he was saying to the people because they'd held back their giving because times were tough and he says no no keep up your giving test me in this i will bless you in this now, we talked a few things about, um, about how this is a moment in the life of our church where we are uh, looking at things for next year. And we don't just throw our money around. Uh, we do have the good coffee, just to get back to our, our uh, original guy, uh, but we pay for our coffee. Like, you're not subsidising coffee. You're actually paying for ministry. You're paying for things to happen, for eternal things. That's where our money goes. You saw the people, um, uh, a number of them at least in that video, they're our committee management and our leadership team who manage our finances and manage our ministries. They're good people, gospel-hearted people. They're not going to waste your money. They've been doing a good job. They've enabled us to get into a building like this. You can trust them. We're also asking you to actually not just hear this one-off sermon and just maybe think about it on the way home, but maybe stop thinking about it when you leave the building. But we actually want you to be thinking about, what does my money say about me? What does my money say about where my heart is? Is this a time to stop and consider? So this best guess thing we talk about is actually meant to be a really helpful thing for each of us in three ways. Helpful for us because it's a moment in the year where we actually stop and think about it. What am I doing about this part of my life? It's actually uh, helpful for us to make a plan, to pray to God, to even talk to others in our household. To go, what do we think of this? How are we going to do this as a household? But involve God in that too, and pledge, because it's actually the process of writing something down helps us commit to it. But it's not uh, impulsive. It's not I want to do this. I want actually we want to encourage you. Take your time, talk about it, pray about it. But it's also helpful for us as a church to manage our commitments into next year. So this is timely for us, this best guess thing. But I just want to share just a final story about how we have been blessed by people doing just that. Some years ago, so we're talking about, uh, we're going to be trying to put Jesse and Josh on as MTS uh, guys. We'll tell you more about that, how that works next week. But um, MTS is a training place, it's a ministry apprenticeship where people get prepared for ministry. Now, Ben Mansfield did this some. Uh, 13, 13, 14 years ago. Now, us as a church, when we were much smaller, much tighter budget, we just didn't have the budget room to put him on as a trainee. Full times for two years, we didn't have the resources for it. But the denomination said, look, we can subsidise this. They paid half his wage. But in that, that money came from a gospel-hearted gentleman who passed away and in his will he left a certain amount of money and in his will the way he divided up and I've been challenged by this myself he says I've got three children instead of dividing up my assets in three different ways I'm going to divide it four ways my children will get their share but a fourth will go towards gospel work and that money was put into training new guys into ministry so if you've benefited from Ben's ministry It's partly to do thanks to this gentleman I've never known, never met. I love to meet in eternity, and I hope you do too, to go, hey, thanks. What you did back then to get Ben on the path of ministry was a testimony to your gospel heart. He wasn't a part of our church. Don't know him. But it's out of his generosity that did that. I want to encourage you that you can make a difference. Sometimes our giving feels like it goes into a black hole. But it does make a difference. It does put our heart on eternal things. Let me pray for us now in these challenging times. Dear Father God, just thank you for your love for us. That you want the best for us. That you're not hearing your word just slamming down, here's a bunch of rules, you must, you must, you must. But actually, you're calling on our hearts, our hearts to be focused on you. Lord, we confess to you, If I confess to you, sometimes I not only have hard hearts, but I'm quick to close my wallet and lock it up. Lord, help us to trust in you like the birds of the air. Help us to focus on you and not on the things, the shiny glittery things that capture our attention. And Lord, help us to have impact with our money, with our stuff that saves up treasures in heaven that we can be enjoying for all eternity.